One saying I'm hearing all the time is content is king. Content is typically that first engagement that your prospect or your customer, whether it's B2B or B2C, is exposed to before they do business, before they even know who you are. And theoretically, every time you're browsing your phone, looking at social media, or looking at a website, you're consuming content. Everything you do, this is content. Everything you look at is considered content. Creating that content can be very challenging, especially since it's so objective to the person that you're writing it for. One, is it gonna resonate with your audience? And two, is it gonna satisfy your client that you're writing that piece of content for? Whether it's a video, an ebook, creating presentations for a webinar. So with this challenge comes process. You need to help establish a process of your own to make sure that you're not only creating good content, but appeasing the needs of your client. And today's guest is gonna walk through how he does this. Kevin Flanagan, who you're gonna meet in a minute, has been a content writer for the better part of three or four decades. He's been a journalist, he's worked in B2B, he's written for both consumers and for business executives. And now I can't wait to get the show on the road. Let's get going. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Business Over Brews. I am excited because today we are talking all about content content marketing. And I have a very special guest in today, Kevin Flanagan, who owns content marketing at Devo. And Kevin, you've been a content marketer for, geez, how long? A couple of decades almost. I mean, you've been a journalist in the past, you've always been writing, and you've, in your experience, managed content marketing for businesses. How long have you been doing content marketing? I have been writing professionally for about 35 years now. Wow. Yep. That's a fan. Like it's it's a lot, and I got to ask you: Is it always the same, or is it always different? Well, there certainly are similarities. Uh, you're always writing for someone, and sometimes they love it, and sometimes they don't love it. You're always in in my career. You're always writing about technology, and the technologies change. Whether you stay at one company or you work at many companies, whether you do freelance work, mm-hmm. which I've also done, when you have many clients, many bosses. So there are similarities, and there are a lot of different. And you just have to kind of change with the times. What we're going to be talking about today for you content writers, for people out there that are trying to create content is the process that Kevin goes through when he creates every piece of content. There is a process and there's a flow you should follow if you want that piece to be successful. Regardless of what your audience is, you have to follow a certain process to make sure it comes out successful. But before we start getting into that, we're going to talk about what we're drinking. Kevin, what did you bring on today? Well, I brought my favorite uh, form of beer, which is uh, a Guinness Stout, the original uh, mm. old-time uh, Guinness from uh, many, many centuries ago now in Ireland. And I am drinking it out of an actual Guinness glass. And the quick story behind it is uh, my wife Sue and I, did a tour of Ireland on vacation a couple of years ago, and we wanted to make sure that we went to the Jameson Distillery, which we did and which we loved, and also to the Guinness Brewery. So when you're at Guinness, uh, you kind of work your way up and you see all the uh, processes that go into making the uh, various Guinness uh products that they have, which are primarily the stout and very, and when you get to the top, there's a, a fantastic circular bar that has this great 
uh, look of uh, overlooking Dublin. And a tour guide that we encountered earlier said, if you go to Guinness, when you get to the top with your ticket, they give you a pint. And it comes in a really nice Guinness glass. They expect you to steal it. They don't <laughs> expect you to steal it. So I was carrying a backpack, as many travelers do. And I had you know my camera and a jacket and stuff my wife didn't feel like carrying. So when we got up to the very top and we had our drink, I finished it and I made sure we were sitting in the corner and I just had the um, uh, backpack handy and open and I just in one fell swoop just put it down in there and right exactly and we walked out. No one was it made the transatlantic trip safely and now whenever I have a Guinness, I make sure that I uh, pay tribute to my uh, brazen thievery and I have it in my official Guinness glass. Not bad. That's pretty awesome. And, and it, wonderful. I mean, I actually, I went out to uh, Ireland a couple of years back, uh, literally arrived in Ireland and had to drive the streets right as the St. Patrick's Day parade was starting. But I remember getting out there one thing specifically at every bar. When you have a beer on tap, the beer, the, the, the distributor actually gives you the branded glasses that go with that beer and you are to serve that beer from the tap in the specific glass that they give you. And if you don't, you can be fined by that distributor, which is insane to me. Yep. But what I'm drinking is an easy to follow. I mean, a Sam Adams winter. I feel like you just can't go wrong with these. I did the October before we've done whiskey in the past. Right now I'm on to the winter. They seem to just Keep me warm in these cold days, especially with the storm coming in. I feel like Sam should be paying me for promoting <laughs> these, even though I, That's a great I just generally well. drink them enough as it is. <laughs> can't go wrong. Well, cheers, and I can't wait to get started. Cheers to you. So going through content, creating pieces of content, you know, I do a lot of writing myself. There's a process that I go through that I don't have solidified. So I'm really interested to see and hear what you put together whenever you approach a new piece of content. So what's the first thing you do? Someone turns around, whether you're working in-house or as a consultant, and I guess it's good to answer, are those processes different? You're at your desk and it's time to write an ebook or a white paper or something that's a bit longer form, not just a blog post. Mm -hmm. What are your first steps to identifying what that is and making sure you start out on the right foot? There's a cliche that you and I'm sure anybody watching or listening has heard from the computer industry, garbage in, garbage out, giggo. So whether yep. you are- Same thing with your diet. There you go. So, so whether you are an employee of a company and therefore yep. after a, a reasonable period of time, you're expected to develop a certain expertise in what the company does, what its products and or services are, or whether you're working freelance, in which case you may be coming into something very cold. I kind of go back to uh, what we talked about or, or you mentioned early on and during the introductions. I worked for about five and a half years while I was in college and then uh, immediately post-college in radio news. So I spent all my days going up to people with a microphone attached to a tape recorder and asking a bunch of questions. And sometimes they would just be, sure. so what did you do tonight at the selectman meeting, you know, chairman so-and-so from whatever town I was covering? And even though I knew what had happened because I was sitting there taking notes, I needed audio. So it instilled yeah, in me right. So it instilled in me the process of asking questions, making sure that they are not easily answered with a yes or a no. Uh, you don't need to show off yeah. how much you know. You can work that into the conversation uh, appropriately. So essentially, 
you want to make sure that your subject matter expert or experts, as the case may be, that you glean as much information from them right up front. Mm -hmm. And before you even get them to tell you, well, you know, this new product or this enhancement to an existing product does X, Y, Z. You also want to take a step further back and say, what do you want this piece of content to accomplish? And the piece of content, obviously, it should be informative. It should be persuasive in some way, shape or form. But is it intended to get someone to buy your product? Is it and it uh, is the intent of it to have existing customers develop a deeper understanding of something you do? Or it could be, of course, mm -hmm. something completely different from from either one of those. So what you want to do is you want to establish a foundation of what is this project? What do you envision it being? And sometimes they'll say, well, I envision an ebook. And, and typically in, in tech, I think, uh, you know, where I've mostly worked, at, as have you, when someone says an ebook, you're thinking, okay, it's not dense. It has some graphics, could have some photographs, could have some drawings, could, could be lighter, you know, fun. That doesn't mean that it might not be 20 pages long and it might not have a lot sure. of content and, and make some very serious points. But you have to know what they want. And sometimes the client and the client, again, could be the guy who sits next to you every day. It could be your boss or your boss's boss, or it could be somebody <laughs> that just hired you through connections or has used you in the past and has a new job. So client is a very broad term, but you want to find out what they want to accomplish, what they think they need, why they need it, what they want to do with it. And you hope that in that conversation, you get the opportunity to gather all the information that you need so that you can do a few things. One is you can perhaps try and influence the person who is giving you the assignment that they don't really want an ebook. They want a white paper or they want a blog post or they want something else, a piece of collateral that's going to go on the website and potentially, you know, be printed out to take to a trade show because there are still some people who like to walk around with shiny pieces of paper that have words and graphics <laughs> on them. I don't know. So it's all. I'm a hard copy kind of person. I like having the paper in hand. I'll be honest with you. I still I have a, a copy board sitting on the floor behind me. You know, it's it's one of those little things with like a tent, if you will. And if I'm yeah. uh, writing from notes or if I have an earlier draft, I can print it out and I can put it there. And as I'm doing something with the electronic copy, I can look back over. So yeah, I get you. I like the tactile. <laughs> but essentially, so you want to find out what do you want. What do you want to accomplish? What do you think you want? Ask the right questions. And once you agree on whatever it's going to be, it could be, uh, for instance, uh, a lot of C-level executive types want to post things on LinkedIn to let all the people that they already know, know about their company, what it's doing, etc. So I often ghostwrite things. It's going to have somebody else's name on it as opposed to a lot of things that, that I and other content creators may uh, uh, create uh, that is anonymous. It's by the company. It's not by Kevin the individual or Chris the individual. So you yeah. 
need to figure out what is it you want to do and and is there a persona to it is there is this an opinion piece is this something that i as the the coo or the ceo of a company wants to in part because people expect a certain level of informativeness. They expect a certain level of industry, in-depth knowledge. They expect a, a certain, uh, I guess you'd say, leadership quality to kind of come out of something when someone has a C-level title, because presumably that means mm -hmm. they are the or one of the senior most people at their organization. So you really have to figure out what are you going to do? Because the there's a, a situation in, in content uh, creation where you can say, well, I'm creating this content, but you're not creating it out of nothing. I like to say to people that typically someone who does what I do for a living doesn't create things. I don't go to the CMO that I work under and I don't say to him, I have a great idea for an ebook or a piece of collateral. You don't need to worry about it. It's already mostly done. I know exactly the story we want to tell. I know all the facts. I'm an expert on the product that we sell, etc. So I'm going to just do this on my own. And when it's done and it's all designed and we've spent a lot of money potentially on that, I'm going to show it to you and you're going to just <laughs> give me that slow clap, right? That never happens. So I always say the, no, creation, the creation process has to be uh, cooperative. It's consultative, it's cooperative, and there has to be a tremendous amount of questions being asked by me and answers being given by the client. And again, it could be a group of people, mm -hmm. it could be a, somebody above me, it could be a peer, it could be anybody. But you really want to find out what you want to do because I don't create things out of thin air. I might have an idea based on something I heard, but the idea is the, is the seed. I didn't just say, I think we should start selling peppermint flavored, you know, widgets. I mean, <laughs> nobody does that in a, in a month. It might not be a bad idea right, right you now. You never know. It's Christmas, right? So why not? But the idea is to let the people who know who are the experts, who know the most about, again, the company, the product, the service, the solution, whatever it is, you want them to tell mm -hmm. you what they need to impart. And then it becomes, so that's the first C, creation, which has to come from uh, the uh, content owner, let's say, as opposed to the content writer. Sure. But I always say there are three eights in my business. There's create, which has to be done collegially, or it has to be done mm -hmm. by someone else, meaning they create the idea. We need a document of some type that needs to accomplish these mm -hmm. goals and it needs to cover this area of what this business does or is about to do if it's something new. The other two eights are much more on, on me. The second one is articulate. And the idea is someone can have a great way of saying, well, our product does this and it's better than the, the competing product, which does that. And the reason our this is better is ABCD, however long that goes. So mm -hmm. you have to take all of that and then you have to articulate it in a way that you may not use all of it because it just may not be necessary. You know, if there are 27 terrific 
capabilities of a product, you probably don't want to mention all 27. You want to find a way to mention the top three to five and then say, in addition, some people want you to mention all 27, though. You know what? (laughs) Whoever signs the check, whether it's your your boss, you know, the company that pays you regularly, or whether it's a client, ultimately you have to give them what they yep. want. But you want to try to use your expertise and say, if you want this to be uh, a two-sided uh, data sheet, let's say, and you know you have to have all of the technical specs which for some companies, mm-hmm. that's really important. It runs on this type of computer and you have to have this much RAM and all that. For other companies, there may not really be much technical spec stuff. So a data sheet is more of a storybook. It's, this is what this product is. This is what it does. This is who uses it. It's who it's for, etc. So the articulation comes with separating the proverbial wheat and chaff and finding a way to tell an interesting story. Then the final eight after create and articulate is communicate because you can articulate something, but you also have to put it in a, put it in a package, if you will, that is able to be understood by the intended audience that is not going to be too highbrow, too lowbrow. You don't want to be condescending. Obviously you have to pick your spots and you have to know why not. Talk down to the customers. They love it, right? You just beat them into buying it. That's how it works. You just don't leave their office until you get that signed purchase order, right? Or a restraining order. Either one. Hey, it's an order's an order. (laughs) So it's all about trying to figure out to to be part journalist, to be – when you do work for a company, you also become – somewhat expert, you have to be a bit of a sponge when you're creating content. Because Mm -hmm. as you hear things, even casually, as you read things on the company website or previous, um, uh, you know, collateral and other documents that have been produced, or as you hear about a customer success story, and you think, you know, that would be a terrific uh, customer case study. Could we get the customer to agree to do it? No, they won't do that publicly because they're very big. And if they say yes to us, they'll have to say yes to 28 million other suppliers that they use for some product Mm -hmm. or service. Well, maybe we do it anonymously and we say a big three automaker. Well, it's one of three, you know, I mean, are there even three anymore? I'm not even sure. But um, (laughs) who knows? Depends on what continent you're on. Exactly. So you want to be able to say, what are we trying to do here? what's important, what's not important. As you learn things, you want to be able to participate. And and one of the most important things that I think a, a writer can do is there are always going to be people at a given company who are very sharp about what it is the company does. And they can mm-hmm. describe it and they can say, what we do is this. And you can say, okay, I get that, but that's not a real exciting way to portray it, to present it to the world. How about if we do this and you take what Mm -hmm. they do, uh, another form of articulation where you take what they have told you and you say, what if we said it this way? And I do an awful lot of, Mm -hmm. what if we said it this way? Or instead of this word, how about that word? 
because there are certain things that you pick up over the years in the you know, 35 years since I've been writing in, in one for one high tech company or another, whether they were my employer mostly or when I've done freelance work. You, you pick things up and, and you take them from company to company, task to task, project to project. And you want to be able to sort of earn your keep by sharing that information appropriately. No one wants to hear the writer say, okay, you know, I know you know flanges, Mr. You know, Terwilliger. Let's stop this conversation right here because I'm going to tell you a story about flanges that you've never heard. You know, what do I know about flanges? I could be asked to write about flanges tomorrow. Probably not. I hope not. Fingers crossed. But nevertheless, you have to. Are we talking about flanges for pipes or flanges for guitars? Well, it could be either way. I mean, it could be the same one. Imagine if you could come up with one that did both. It works in the music room. It works in the bathroom. I mean, <laughs> Flanagan's flanges. Come on. You're going to need a bigger bathroom. Yeah. Now, so, I'll, I'll be honest. So you actually covered the next two questions that I was going to ask in here as well. And sorry, not to, to interrupt, because you definitely, you completely covered what are the, you know, defining the goals. How do you figure out what the goals are and what the deliverable is supposed to be? And then additionally, understanding who the reader is. You need to figure out who that buyer is. What were, sorry, what was your final point going to be on uh, articulate well, or it's, communicate? It's really just a question of you want to bring something to the table other than the ability to type. And, and a reasonable uh, skill at English, presumably. Uh, if it's mm -hmm. some very difficult language that you don't speak, chances are it's going to be a very challenging project. But never say no. Just give it a shot. But, <laughs> but seriously, folks. So you, you want to bring those skills. I have good uh, composition skills. I have uh, very above average grammar and punctuation skills. I have a good vocabulary. Yeah. So I bring all of those to the table. I know the rules. I know, you know, subject verb agreement. I, I end up diagramming sentences sometimes by saying, no, that's a prepositional phrase. That doesn't determine what the verb is. It's the noun that comes first. And they just look at me and go, okay. Oh my Lord. Yeah, but sometimes you have to do it because you end up with situations. No, you do. I'm not, it, it's, it, it can seem like overkill, but it really isn't. It's all, even to the point where you're talking about conversational linguistics, if you're trying to connect to that audience, that's how you do it. Right. Because sometimes you end up with a sentence, especially in tech, if you ever uh, spell check using Microsoft Word, let's say, you always get the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the flesh reading score. And there's another one, you know, they, I don't know why they feel like they have to give you two. But, you know, the reading score is always yeah. the 97th grade which I'm not sure how many PhDs that would be, but I believe it would be more than three. So that's because you end up with a lot of some jargon, but hopefully the jargon is, is at a minimum, but they're big words mm -hmm. and they're complex words. And you're using a lot of hyphenated, uh, you know, expressions and, and clusters of words to convey something. So then when you get that reading score, it's not going to come out to the average fifth grader should be able to really absorb this. It's always going to be some ridiculous number. But what happens is you end up with these sometimes long sentences and people think yeah. it should be chooses. And it's like, no, it should be choose. And they're like, but it's this. And you say, but, but the noun that started the sentence three years ago is back here. And that, whoops, as I knock over the water and, and that, Says, <laughs> but not the beer. Yeah, not the beer. The beer is safe up here. So that what term? Yeah, would have been bad. I would have to leave because. <laughs> so you, you want to be able to say, look, trust me. 
the noun from last Thursday that is yeah. calling for the verb from next Tuesday, they need to agree. And no matter how many words and how many compound adjectives are in between the two, just trust me on this because that's my superpower. <laughs> it's, it's not a great one. It's not flying or invisibility, but it's what I do. Yeah. No, and it's and it makes perfect sense. And so it's funny the 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 next question because we've heard, you've covered a, a bunch of the questions I was going to ask you. The next question I was going to ask is, what do you do when you're writing the content to the medium? What comes first? It's a big chicken and egg kind of discussion. Are you looking at it saying, oh, Q two we need to have an ebook? No idea what it's going to be. Here's an ebook, and then Q three we're going to have four data sheets. Do you want to approach it, or does it really depend on what you're working with and what the customer wants? Is it about the topic more than the medium, or how would you approach that based on needs of the customer? That's a good question. I would say that it's it's always a hybrid, because if mm-hmm. someone says, "Well, we need an ebook," and it, you can obviously dig in a little bit and say, "Oh, you know, Chris, what makes you say that?" Well, you know, our competition uh, they they have ebooks, and I see ebooks all the time. I'm always getting inundated with emails. Download our ebook about you know blah 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 something that they think might be of interest to whoever that person that the imaginary person who's having this conversation with you. So you get the mindset of, well, we need an ebook. Okay. But, but there are certain things that, that work in ebooks and there are other things that don't. So if ultimately the material just doesn't lend itself to an ebook, you have to talk about it. You have to say, if yeah. you put this in an ebook form, it's going to be the oddest ebook anyone's ever seen, and it's probably going to do more harm than good. So, an ebook, as mm-hmm. I, I mentioned before, should be breezy. It should be not necessarily short sentences because you don't want choppy, but definitely short paragraphs. Yeah. Um, everybody has learned how to write in school, no matter how far you went. Uh, we all learned in elementary school how to write sentences and a thesis sentence or a topic sentence and a paragraph, and, and we carried that through high school and in college, particularly if you were in the humanities, whether it was English, history, political science, you did a lot of writing. And I remember when I was in college, you were still expected to write fairly long paragraphs, whether it was in a blue book during an exam or whether it was in a paper. I mean, the paper might be 12 or, or 16 typewritten pages, but it might only be 11 paragraphs because they were big paragraphs. And one of the guys that I went to college with, his father worked for the New York Times. And the father clearly had a deal with the son where the father said, I want to see those papers before you hand them in. And I remember, you know, I shared several classes with this guy. And I remember one of our uh, professors who we both were in his class. He said, Sam, stop having your father edit your stuff. This is an English class. I don't want two sentence paragraphs. So the, the 12 or 16 page uh, term paper had 952 paragraphs because this guy is a trained wow. journalist. It's an exaggeration. It was only 951. So, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, excuse me. So this guy was writing like he was writing for the New York Times, which remember, you know, newspaper columns then and now are still pretty narrow. So, he, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. He was like, don't don't have him do that. This is English class. You know, it should be longer. So things. Some of that still holds true. An ebook should be yeah. ask a question, 
start out with, you know, what's the worst part about trying to manage your network or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, what's the worst part mm. about trying to get, uh, you know, people to come into your shop uh, and know what they want, whatever it is, just ask a question. And then typically you want in an ebook things to be breezy and, and, you know, you can, you can have some fun with words. You, you want the paragraphs to be relatively yeah. short, like that, uh, college, uh, friend of mine whose father was always, you know, cutting down his, uh, his, uh, term papers. If it's a white paper, and it's, we've just discovered cold fusion or whatever, right? It's got to be something really serious. And it's going to revert back to that style of long, dense paragraphs with lots of references and lots of, you know, checks and balances yeah. to make sure that, yes, this is legitimate and we're spelling it all out. So that's really, those are clearly two extremes, but that's where that concept comes in. There are other things you can do while you're writing, regardless of what the medium is, if you have to have a super long sentence because there's mm -hmm. multiple product names or proper names or whatever it is, you, you just sometimes end up with these sentences that you just say, you know, I need to go out to lunch before I finish it because it's just too long and I need a break. Try to have a short sentence come after it and before it, maybe, if possible. I mean, it doesn't always lend itself that way, yeah. but you, you have to think there's a certain rhythm to writing like there is to music, let's say, or to, uh, you know, working out, uh, in terms of you, you don't want to be doing all very intense things and then very, uh, slow types of things. You want, uh, more of a uh, cycle of activity where you get the heartbeat up and you get it down. It, there's a certain cadence and a certain rhythm to writing as well. So you bring yeah. all that to the table and, and sometimes it's more readily applied than others because, you always have a client. They always have a topic. Mm -hmm. The company always has a perceived style or persona in the marketplace. And you got to adjust. You have to be yeah. flexible. You have to be willing to say, okay, if I were calling the shots, this is how I would do it. But I'm not calling yeah. all the shots. Therefore, you have to go back to the client and say, okay, we could do this or we could do that. Do you have a preference? And you always want to, you know, give it that way. And yeah, it sounds a lot like so the way what I'm what I'm pulling in from you is it, you can you're going to find clients that are going to turn around and say, I want an ebook here. I want a, a white paper here and whatnot. And it's before you look at it, it's good to identify that you want to have an X number of content pieces put together. Yep. But it's better to get those topics in those points into some sort of outline and then figure out after that, which topics will best fit in the type of medium based on what you're going to cover. Exactly. I mean, if, if you are, uh, you know, if you have an art exhibit and it's all paintings and it's all still life, so mm -hmm. it's bowls of fruit and bunches of flowers and they say, I'd like a really high powered, fast cut video. Well, I suppose you could do that, but that might be the wrong mix of content uh, and medium through which you're going to convey the content. I'm sure that some very creative person sure. could, you know, take very snappy video. Could make it work. Sure. Yeah. But it's, it's an unusual blend. It's not typically what you would expect. Yeah. It's more, you know, PBS than MTV. But if that's what your client wants and you're getting paid, you do it. <laughs> you say, you know what? Maybe I'm not the right person to do that. It's a great situation to be in. You can do that yeah. as a freelancer, assuming that you've, 
got a few bucks put aside to you know pay the rent or mortgage and eat. You really can't do it when you work for a company. I mean, I don't get the option of saying, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. Now, maybe there's a team <laughs> of people, and sometimes you can pull rank if you have seniority or what have you, and you can go, yeah, let's let uh, you know Mary do that or let's let Joe do that, just because I've done twelve of those and. You know, in the time I have left on this earth, I really don't want to do a 13th. So, yeah, you can have a little fun with it, but you can try to say enough's enough on this particular one, meaning with a given client or on a given topic or whatever it might be. But most of the time, you don't. Time to move forward. (laughs) That I get. So the last question I want to ask you, so we have a few more minutes here, is when you're putting together the content, there's there's there's. There's a process you got to walk through to actually getting it done. Revision rounds, making sure that your stakeholders have bought into your decisions. And there's got to be common pitfalls that you've run into that you realize are going to pretty much stop this piece of content from ever seeing the light of day. So what do you do to make sure that your stakeholders are all aligned and see the direction of the content to actually get something delivered and out the door? The hardest thing is what I call the uh, unexpected and rapid U-turn where you've had your conversations, you've done your interviews, perhaps you've even created an outline. It's an old tried and true thing, but it can be a very good idea. It doesn't generally take a lot of time, but you want to say, this is how we're going to start it. This is our, this is our big story. And then you're going to lead up to the punchline of, you know, Acme Widget is the only company that can deliver this big story. And everybody, again, applauds and says, well, let's give all of our money to Acme Widget. I, we don't know what they do. We don't need widgets. But damn, that was a, a fine piece of, of marketing collateral. So when people don't know what they want or when they change their mind halfway through, that is one of the most frustrating things. Now, there are two schools of thought. I've been in, in both situations. When you work for a company, Technically, as long as you do well enough to retain your job and the company does well enough to retain its people, you have the luxury of, hey, you want 38 drafts of this thing before maybe you're happy? Okay. You got me Monday through Friday from you know 8.30 to 6 or whatever it is. I'll just do yep. a draft every two days for the next 76 days and hopefully you'll be happy ultimately. When you are a freelancer, you have to set some rules. And that's really mm-hmm. where the um, some of the methods that I've described and that you um, have asked about really come into play when someone's paying you by the hour or they're paying you on a per project basis. Because if they're paying you by the hour yeah. and it's open ended, it's almost like the job thing. You burn the hours. Yeah. Well, that's going to yeah. take me uh, the rest of my working life. So see you at sixty-five, <laughs> and you know I'll give you whatever it is, and no one's going to agree to that. But you also don't want to be in a situation where you say, uh, "Okay, you want an ebook? It's going to be you know twelve-ish pages. Uh, we'll have a good conversation about the content. I'll give you one draft. You make all your edits." I give you a final draft and then if maybe something needs to be cleaned up and it's only relatively few minutes work, I'll do that for you. But it's really two drafts and we're done for $2,500, $5,000, even $10,000, depending upon what it is. And it changes all the time. The biggest problem is when- $10,000? Exactly. (laughs) Yes, Dr. Evil. 
So you end up with a situation <laughs> where you've, you've done that first draft and you get a lot of revisions. Oh, no. Now that I see it in writing, mm-hmm. which is one of the phrases writers never really like to hear because generally it doesn't go. Now yeah, that I see it in like- writing, I realize we're underpaying you and we should quintuple your fee. No one says that. So it, it often is. Nope. Now that I see it in writing, this really isn't that good a story. We're going to have to come up with something else. So we're back to two full drafts, right? Nope. That was your first draft. What, what did you get from <laughs> your first draft? You learned that this really wasn't a great story to tell because you don't seem yep. to have any problem. You better be right on the next one. Exactly. You don't seem to have any problem with the quality of my work. You just realized that you're, you were kind of barking up the wrong tree. So now you have to find another tree. Yeah. Okay, fine. But you can't say – well, we can do that a few more times, and each time it'll be another draft, but only it, it'll still be the, the first draft. There'll just be 17 of them. You, you'd basically starve yeah. to death. So you do have to have some rules, <laughs> and, and even within a company when, when you are being paid uh, a salary, you still should say for both your own sanity, for the benefit of the company, and even to help your colleague who might be the bane of your existence, whether they're you know your superior or just uh, a peer – you just want to say, look, or me, or you, right? Let's just figure this out ahead of time. Let let's let's talk about yeah. what do we want to say here, and who do we want to say it to. So you kind of go back to some of those foundational elements, and you want to because this is what you do. I'm a writer. I can communicate verbally. I have a decent eye for the the design elements of things, but I'm not a designer. I can clean something up if somebody else does the work. I, I know enough about the Adobe Creative Suite to be somewhat dangerous, but I'm a writer. I take yeah. pride in it. I enjoy it. I love turning a phrase. I get a lot of stuff from colleagues. We have an editing Slack channel. And so it'll be like, nice. hey, can someone take a look at this? And there are basically three of us that it might be. And it's me most of the time because I like to do it. If I have long form projects, <laughs> yeah. I need breaks. And if I can look at an invitation to a webinar that's this big or I can look at a newsletter that's, you know, essentially one page on a computer a screen. Win. Exactly. It allows me to kind of, you know, again, it's like running a few sprints when you've just run, you know, five miles, you want to, you want to mix it up interval training. So, <laughs> so I enjoy that. It, it, again, you know, pun intended, it, it's uh, my suit, my superpower. It's the, it's the one I say, it's the only <laughs> skill I have, but so far I've made a decent living out of it. So you, you want to be able to nice. bring all of that to the table and you, you want to be taken seriously. And the way you do that, of course, is by showing your, your abilities when you work for a company or if you do long-term freelance work, a lot of I, one of my very best friends uh, has made a living for a long time as a freelance business writer, and he has a lot of repeat business. It's almost like working for a company. But regardless of, of who you're working for, what you're doing, how you're being paid, you want to take pride in your work. So the way to do that is to make sure that you are a good communicator, you stand your ground, but you... Try not to be too rigid because uh, mm-hmm. the person I currently work for is, like me, a real stickler for grammar and punctuation and all that stuff. And we have these really boring – You must get along very we, well. We do get along really well, but we have these – you know. Do you argue about the Oxford comma? Well, here's the thing. I was never an Oxford comma guy unless it was <sighs> complex – unless it was a complex sentence and you needed it. AP style says the flag is red, comma, white and blue. You're not going to screw that 
Yeah. You don't necessarily need red comma, white comma, and blue. It's a much longer sentence, and, and each of those three elements has five words apiece, and you're up to 15 words, you know, needing commas in between clusters of them. It's okay. My current boss believes in the Oxford comma. I now use it everywhere. <laughs> Tom, comma, Dick, comma, and Harry. You know what? When yep. in- the other thing that I always tell people is, and, and this is my writing colleagues and my other marketing colleagues or just anybody I might be talking to about business and, and content creation and, and, uh, and refinement is most of what I do is subjective. I can say, well, I think this word is a terrific word to convey this point. And someone else can say, well, I disagree. I think that a either much more complex meaning more syllables or a little more esoteric or a much simpler word would be better. If both words are arguably equally uh, viable in that particular setting, the client wins because I, I can't argue the case on the merits of two plus two does not equal 29. It equals four. But if they agree that two plus two equals four and they come back with, well, I'd like to do three plus one. You can't go, but that doesn't, oh, it does equal four. Okay. So really it's mm-hmm. down to subjectivity. You, you want mm-hmm. to put a, a, you know, a different word in and the, and the person you're ostensibly working for on that project disagrees. It doesn't have to be vehement. They could just say, you know, I prefer uh, beer to brew. Okay. I mean, one is a little more casual. One is sort of the official name of the... I'm not changing the name of the podcast. Well, there you go. That's why I brought it up. But the point is, both of them cover the same thing. One is simply sort of a nickname sure. for, for the more official title. So, But I'd argue, because that means we can talk over coffees instead of just beers. That's true. That's true, because coffee also is very could be cold brews if you know, we just open the windows, because it is fairly cold as I look right. at my watch, which also has the temperature. I'm in the basement, and I'm freezing down here. Yeah, I'm upstairs, and the heat is rising, so I got that going for me. But anyway, the point being that a lot of what you do is subjective. It's all about making the client happy. It's about applying your skills the best way you know how. Are there tricks? Are there, are there cheat codes, if you will? Sure. Uh, you've probably heard me say this, uh, you know, when we've worked together. But if you have a really strong opening and a really good memorable close, and this applies to virtually mm-hmm. anything, the part in the middle can be a few bullet lists and a couple of other paragraphs that just carry the story forward. But you really want people to remember something up front. When it, I, I love to to write things to have my opening sentence be a question. How are you managing your such and such? Or are you tired of uh, always having to do blah, 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 whatever that is? You want, you know, presumably some number of your your audience are going to go, damn right I am, whatever it is, right? I mean, it doesn't matter because it applies to anything. So there are ways to do it. But then once you've kind of got them with that little creative burst, you got to get the meat and potatoes mm-hmm. out of the way. So you can do that. You can say... The five most important things to know about this are colon, one, two, three, four, five, or bullet points, or whatever the case may be. So yeah. you have a strong open. If you have the opportunity, you want to have a good close. And in the middle, it should be not just the facts, ma'am, as you know the old uh, uh, police uh, story kind of uh, cliche goes, but 
still, you got to get those facts in there and you have to make sure that whatever mm. needs to be covered is covered. But you also want to have uh, a way of doing it that is perhaps memorable. And I, I, another thing I always say to people is you often hear someone say, well, our audience, they're technical people. They work in security operations centers. They're, they're IT people. And I say, understood. However, in any walk of life, regardless of whether it's blue collar, white collar, scientific, artistic, whatever it might be, there are people who may not do writing, editing, etc. for a living, but they're very good <laughs> at the rules of grammar, punctuation, proper word choice, subject verb agreement, all of those things we've touched on. You may as well sure. do it right because the last thing you want is someone reading what you've paid to have produced and put on your website or mail out or whatever it is and have them go, ooh, I can't finish reading this because they did something wrong in the middle and it completely threw me off. <laughs> you know, I'm the CISO of a company, but I also got, you know, 755 on my verbal SAT. I just happen to be very good at that. So I always say, why not do it? the right way. And that doesn't mean stiff or stodgy. It doesn't mean overly formal. You're not an English butler wearing a starched collar all the time, but there's a proper way to <laughs> do things. I might be. Well, you might be in another life, but you want to do things right within reason, within the, within the vernacular of what it is you're doing. And if you can come hmm. away with all of those things, and we've covered a lot of, of different elements to the topic. And, and I guess you can sum it up by saying there is no one way to do it. A lot of subjectivity yeah. comes in. Uh, you know, I've, I've chosen words when I'm editing something for someone and they'll be like, nah, I just don't like that word. Well, I mean, do you not like it because you think it's no, wrong? Why? No, I just don't <laughs> like it. But that's sort yeah. of like saying, well, I don't like the color purple, not the book or the movie or the play, I guess, too. I just don't like I would never wear a purple sweater or a purple shirt or tie or whatever. I just don't care for the color purple. OK, so you don't yeah, care right. for we'll this word. Um, right. There's no point in arguing with them. Because you're not going to yeah. win. They're not going to say, you've made a very persuasive argument. I'm now going to go out and buy an entirely purple wardrobe. No one's ever said that in the history of people. So you have to be flexible. But you also have to know your, your business. And you have to be someone that they can depend on that when they trust you to write something, when they trust you to edit something, you're going to be – you don't have to be perfect because that's largely unattainable. But you better be damn close yep. because – that's who you are. That's what you do. And it all rolls up, whether it's a big content piece, you know, a 50-page report with a lot of charts, or whether it's a few paragraphs that go on a website. Whatever it is, mm -hmm. you, you have to have, you know, it, it's like someone who uh, is a house painter. They do interior. They do exterior. They do trim. They do ceilings. They do baseboards, whatever it is. It's all painting, but you don't apply the same uh, techniques or you don't use the same materials, etc. for each one. You have to have some nuance and you have to have some insightful knowledge about the right way to do things and you apply it sure. to the right place. And that's really a lot of what I do no. and that's content creation and that's content articulation and communication and, and, and curation even. I, I go in and clean up stuff all the time. I go on our website, I have access, yeah. I see something and I'm like, well, that's not the right word or you know, it's not the subject verb agreement or whatever and I just go in and fix it. I don't tell anybody. <laughs> I just do it. I make it. Kevin, this you know, is 
good about that. This has been absolutely, yeah, no, it, it's, it's good to go in and just take that initiative. And it's been fantastic to talk about the creative process you go through to identify what the goals are, making sure you get those goals solidified and agreed upon, making sure you're writing to the right audiences. And then how are you going to actually pursue and produce that piece of content? And then after that, how do you actually publish that piece of content, get it done, get it delivered and get to move on to the next piece. But now we're going to take a quick break. Exactly. It's the thing is and they're constantly evolving, but we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back as next. Kevin's going to come back on and talk to us about what it's like to write content. You have no business writing as a content writer. At some point, you have to write content for a topic you know nothing about or even worse, have absolutely no interest learning or writing about, but you still got to do it. So when we come back, we're going to go ahead and talk about that. Kevin, you can see I'm already empty here, but thank you. We'll talk in a couple minutes. This episode is sponsored by me. I sponsored this episode because I paid for everything. I paid for that lamp. I paid for that camera. I paid for that tripod. I paid for this fill light. I paid for this laptop. I paid for this microphone. You know, I might have actually stolen the microphone. Every penny I save goes into this channel. All right, why is every light on in this house? We're not made of money here, people. So please help me out and subscribe to the channel. 71, not a chance. Look, every facet of this channel is financed through my own pocket. So every subscribe, like, and comment I personally appreciate. And I will reply to you. So please subscribe and help me out. Appreciate it. Listen, people, we are not made of money. If you are cold, put on a sweater. 